All right, good morning. We are in Matthew chapter 14 and into chapter 15. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We just thank you, Lord, that you've given us such a means uh, to know you and that your word is living and active, that it is ever present, that it is uh, never out of date, always applicable, always fresh, because you, Lord, uh, are always uh, with us by your spirit. So send us that spirit now. Uh, the Spirit that resides in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we ask that You would uh, give us and raise our hearts to You, uh, raise our souls and our spirits that we might know You and love You and serve You, uh, be inspired by Your Word, and we ask this in Christ's name, Amen. Amen. And bring a whole bunch more people into the room while I'm praying. In the name of Jesus. Where do you want to sit, Kay? Uh, secure? Oh, it's a little close. A little too close we, to the um, teacher. We were serving, uh, we were serving cookies. And so a lot of people are still coming in, and I can't blame you uh, at all. Yes. All right, got it. Okay, we're in Matthew 14, and um, we have been in Matthew, let's see, 10 months, 9 months? Yes. And, um, and we'll be there another 9, nine or 10 months, I think. The, um, and that's good. We don't need to rush through the Word of God. Last week we talked uh, about um, the death of John the Baptist and Jesus feeding the 5,000. Very well-known passages. Uh, we have another very well-known passage today, Jesus walking on water. And uh, I'm going to give a demonstration outside afterwards. Um, I look a, more, a lot more like Peter than Jesus, I can promise you that. Um, and so... I don't feel like, I'm, I mean, most of you have been here each week. We're, we're heading towards uh, Peter's confession, and um, I don't need to go too much more uh, into that. We'll, be, we'll get there in a couple of weeks, uh, but right now, we got kind of a lot to cover today, uh, but it, I, I love this passage, um, this walking on water. I really like the uh, traditions and commandments uh, and the, what defiles a person. That really gets to the heart of human nature, but this passage... Uh, Walking on the water is just so, uh, you know, it's in, it's in all four Gospels. And not many things other than the death and the cross and the resurrection are in all four Gospels. But Jesus walking on the water is, and it is, um, uh, it's, that just should tell us it's important. It's really important. And we see, uh, we see that it's important. And I hope you stay with me uh, because when I say it's, it's harder to see why it's so important in the English. Because what it looks like to us is that we're that it is showing how awesome Jesus' power is. And that, I mean, that could be enough. I mean, it really is. But what it's really showing us is who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So, let's get into, starting with uh, chat, uh, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. So, what you know, he's just, he's just finished feeding the 5,000. If you remember, he went there to get away, right? To get up some time to pray. But the crowds followed him, and so he, he healed their sick and taught them and fed them. So he's, he's done with the 5,000 uh, people with the, the leftover baskets of, of bread. It says, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately cried out, uh, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Tell me what you know or what you think about Jesus walking on the water. What sticks out to you? What what is uh, what strikes you as important? He's defying gravity. That is that's pretty important. We see that in the ascension. That's pretty much the only other time we see Jesus defy gravity, right? What else? Well, I like the part where Peter, when he became afraid, he started sinking. Yes. And that's the way we are when we are afraid and are anxious and whatever. We forget that there's yes. there. He started sinking. Peter started sinking when he was afraid and we're just, we're just the same. Boy, you're, you're making my points. That is right. That is right. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting is that the, the disciples, it does not say the disciples are afraid of the wind. This is, there are, there's a, a storm or two that, that they face where they're, they're terrified. Their boat's filling up. But this is, a, they, this is not a storm they, they can't handle. These are fishermen. They've handled wind and waves before. Uh, they're not afraid. Uh, they're not, uh, they, it doesn't mean that it's not hard because they're buffeted by the wind. Now, it's really, they're not crossing the entire breadth of, of the Sea of Galilee. It's uh, uh, Gennesaret. Is um, is where they get out, and and, and it's, they're just going a few miles south. But a few miles of rowing uh, is tough anyway, and a few miles of rowing a, a boat full of fishermen uh, is tough. And a boat um, and to do that uh, for a few miles is is it would have been hard. And to do it against the wind would have been it took them all night. It took them all night. Um, so remember, Jesus had gone there to get away. Uh, after the death of John the Baptist, where you see in verse 13 of the chapter, he withdrew in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Um, remember, he was going to prepare his heart uh, for this phase of his ministry. Now that the, the voice crying in the wilderness has, has, is deceased, he he's comes to center stage. And um, the crowds followed. They heard he was out there and they, they followed him there on foot. Again, it's just a few miles. And we just talked last week about the compassion that Jesus showed. He served despite his own needs. But 
just as instructive as, as that compassion and serving despite his own needs, just as instructive is that Jesus still takes the time that he needs to be with his Father. Yes, he found the time to, to serve and, and, to, uh, and have that compassion, but he also, when he was done with that, he still took that time with his Father. He, he dismissed the crowds, he dismissed the disciples, and he went up on the mountain uh, to pray because he needed the time. He'd rather have prayer than, he, than sleep. And I wish I was that righteous. <laughs> uh, I did get up early this morning. And I, the first thing I did was pray. Uh, but thank you for my calling. But um, but I slept first. Um, so it was. Um, it's, I think that should be instructive to us that Jesus doesn't find just as much rejuvenation in in service. Service is, is critically important, but he's got to have his spirit filled. It says when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the the boat was a long way from land, beaten by the waves. In the fourth watch of the night, they, they didn't have you know Apple watches yet, so uh, so they um, they had divided the night up into watches. And so this is between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning, just before the breaking of the dawn. <laughs> It just so casually says it. He came to them walking on the sea. I, I, it's just hard for me to imagine like why he did that. Like why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he just walked on the land? And I think he. It just must be because it was fun. Like I mean, why? Why else would you walk on the water? Because uh, he could. Just cause, I mean, you know, you kind of picture him out there, just kind of skating, riding the waves a little bit. And, you know, it's just got to be fun. And he, you know, he's thinking like, I'm going to get these guys. Oh my gosh, it is going to be so, so good. Uh, and, and they see him and they cry out in fear. And of course they did. Because, I mean, what would you do if you saw somebody walking to you on the water? You, you would either think you're, you're seeing things and the, you know, the pizza that you ate last night or whatever you drank last night was, was, uh, was playing tricks on you. Or Jesus had come himself or it was a ghost. I don't know how we would actually react to that. I would be freaked out, I think. And I would scream like a schoolgirl. Um, in fact, I think I've told this story in a sermon before. When I was um, 16 or 17, I, it was late, late at night, everybody was in bed, and I needed, I had forgotten something downstairs. And so very confidently, and quietly, I, I went downstairs. We had a little creek in our in our stairwell, but so too quiet. But I was I was quiet as I could. And just as I turned the corner out of the darkness, hands grabbed my shoulders and and gotcha. And I screamed. <laughs> I was, you might wonder, like, a 17-year-old offensive lineman, you know, would, would act with a little more bravado, but then again, our team wasn't very good. So, um, <laughs> um, and my dad had heard me coming, and just, I mean, he got me so good. And it was, and as, as soon as I heard him laugh, I started laughing. But I was afraid until I heard his voice, right? And I was afraid until I heard his voice. Um... I mean, I don't know that a burglar would say "gotcha." You know, he probably just—he probably wouldn't say anything. He'd just hit you in the head. But, um, 
But it was it was it was really funny, uh, and I started laughing, although a little sheepish because I had my voice, my throat was sore from how loud I screamed. But um, you know, it's it's ridiculous what Jesus says. I mean, they scream when they see him because it's a it's a um, they they think he's a ghost, and he says, "Take heart." Like that's no. It's a ghost. He says, don't be afraid. That's crazy. The only reason to take heart or not be afraid is the middle portion. It's me. That's the only reason not to be afraid. And just like I heard my dad's voice and my fear turned into laughter, they hear that it, Jesus saying it's me and their fear turns into maybe not quite yet joy, wonder perhaps, um, but but eventually even they are turned to joy and, and worship. But this is not just a story, as I, as I intimated earlier, not just a story about Jesus' unique ability to walk uh, on the water, His authority over the, the laws of physics, right? Because we hear, it is I. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. But in the original language, the disciples would have heard, take heart, I am. Fear not. I am. This is a story about the divinity of Jesus, not just his superpowers, right? I am. This is this is a burning bush story. So I want to go back and I want to read Exodus chapter two, where we actually have the burning bush, and we hear the name of God. Moses is. Uh, out in the wilderness, this is uh, after he's killed somebody and run away before, but this is the call to come back and, and be the, the pseudo-savior, the, uh, uh, the one who leads the, the people out of Israel, out of slavery, the, the human agent of, of God. He's sort of a, a precursor to Jesus. And we talked early on in Matthew's study that we get a lot of Moses imagery around Jesus. He's an early sort of figure of the a type of the Messiah uh, to come. And the Lord says, "This is one of my, I just love this." The Lord says, "I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them." And like I just that is such a I mean, that's a foreshadowing of Jesus if there ever was one. He says this, of course, out of the bush. The burning bush, the bush was this on fire but not being consumed uh, by the flames. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Mosquito Bites. And he says that um, uh, Moses says to God, um, Who am I? That I should. Uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God does not look at him and says, well, Moses, think of all the talents that I've given you. Think of how, how big your muscles are, how, how, um, how much experience you have. He doesn't say any of that because it would have been foolish to call attention to that. God's response is, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you 
When you have brought the people up out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Well, that's really not a great sign, because how do I know I'm going to go down there? You're going to tell me the sign that I'm telling you the truth is that after this all is over with, you're going to be right back here with the people. Thanks a lot. Um, Moses says to God, well, listen, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God said also to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We see this, uh, I mean, this is the sacred name of God, the great I Am. We, we sing about that, That's, we, we know that name of God. And in fact, John, in his gospel, has, I think it's seven statements where Jesus says, I Am. And if it was just one, nobody would think anything of it, but it's seven in its significance. I am the bread of life, I am uh, the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life. Over and over again, we have those statements of of Jesus' divinity, I am, ego eimi in Greek, I am, and that's what we have here. So it's a, a, it's a statement, it's a declaration, not just across the Galilean dawn, but across uh, the centuries, that Jesus uh, is divine. He has seen His people's afflictions, and He has come down to deliver them, and He has seen the disciples and their affliction. Uh, the, the wind is, is against them, and He has come across the water. Uh, to them, I just—it's just—I just think it is amazing. Take heart, I am. Fear not. What what a what a thing when we're because we we know what it's like to have the wind buffeted against us, and what a uh, what a what a comfort. Take heart, I am. Uh, fear not. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water, which is hilarious to me. Again, like this, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, it just, that seems like such a dumb thing to do. Like a ghost is to be like, well, I was going to come and get you, but since you've put that restraint on me, I won't call you out of the water. It seems like that's the very thing a ghost would, uh, would do. Call him out of the water and he would, he would sink. Um, but Peter's full of faith. Peter's full of faith. He's impetuous, but he's full of faith. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter got out of the boat, and let me, it, it, we can make fun of Peter all we want, but he's the only, other than Jesus, the only person that's ever walked on water, right? And, uh, and so he walked on water, came to Jesus, and when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and began, to, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And that's such a funny little statement, isn't it? Beginning to sink. Because the laws of gravity would suggest that if you're walking on the water and you start to sink, you just go boop, and just you're just you're gone. But he doesn't sploosh. He doesn't do that. He just he begins to sink, as if his doubts are lowering him down into the into the water, and he cries out, "Lord, save me!" And we know what it's like to have the wind. Just the same thing. We we love Peter because we know what it's like to have. The, the wind howling around us to take our eyes off of Jesus. Anybody ever taken their eyes off Jesus when the wind starts howling? Okay, a few hands. Good, yeah. 
In our marriage, we do it. In our job, we do it. In our finances, we do it. In our church, we do it. I mean, howling winds are a part of life, aren't they? They're just a part of life. We like to fool ourselves into thinking that if Jesus was really Jesus, he wouldn't, make, he wouldn't let the winds howl around us. That's when he does his best work. That's when he comes on the water. And I got to tell you, I have to remind myself of that because I would much rather him not, make, not let the winds howl. Yes, Charlotte. Do you think maybe Peter all of a sudden realized what he was doing? It's like, uh-oh, wait a minute. What am I doing here? I mean, all of a sudden he realized that he had walked out on the water and he's like, kind of took his eyes off there. Yeah, well, do I realize, did, do I think that Peter suddenly realized what he was doing? I, it's, it's really hard to get in the mind of Peter in this particular situation because he says, if it's you, let me call me to come out on the water. I mean, there, there's, there's some sort of daring act of faith there. But when he does it and the winds are howling, it's, a little, it's not fun like Jesus thinks it is. It's scary. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He actually gets to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he gets there, but he takes his eyes off. And um, and did he suddenly realize? Did he think it was a vision? And he suddenly feels the wetness. He feels I don't know. Yeah. But what I know is that that he he wasn't looking at Jesus anymore. He's looking at the. It says he's looking at the wind. I don't know how you look at wind, but he he's, he just sees the effects of the wind, right? He sees the 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 wave, surging waves and the boat tipping up and down, and it freaks him out. It's dark. It's dark out there. Just barely, probably just a little s- silver sliver along the horizon. And, uh, and of course, Jesus does what He does. And he reaches out and, and saves Him. And I just, it's such a wonderful story. And He says, Oh, you a little faith. You know, He only ever says that to His disciples. He's, it's, it's almost like a term, it's not a, it's, it's criticism, but it's like a, it's an affectionate criticism. When they got out of the boat, the wind ceased. Why? Why wouldn't the wind cease when Peter gets out on the water? See, wouldn't that make it so much easier? It didn't cease. The howling wind didn't cease until Jesus was done proving his point. Because that's when he does his best work. And those in the boat saw him and they worshipped him. Truly you are the Son of God. Now I, it occurs to me that we're moving towards the confession, but this is kind of a confession, isn't it? Truly you are the Son of God. He's a, he's a, he is the great I am. Yes, Denise. One thing I like about this too is twice in here it says Jesus immediately. The... Um, but, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. But Jesus immediately reached out his hand. He doesn't fool around. He doesn't fool around immediately. That's right. Mark uses the word immediately a lot. So much we kind of quit listening to it. But, but Matthew doesn't use it very much. So I, I, that's a great point to draw out immediately. And sometimes, you know, in your life, like you think, well, why didn't Jesus immediately reach out his hand? Well, listen, he's got you. He just hadn't gotten, gotten you back in the boat yet. And the, and the winds are still going. So remind me of that next week, okay? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Jesus is the great I am. That's a great prayer, isn't it? 
Make, get me back in the boat, Lord. Just get me back in the boat. The natural response to this is worship. Love it. I'm not going to talk too much about the little little portion here. Jesus heals the sick in Gennesaret. When they crossed over, they got around the bend there. They landed at Gennesaret. It's just a little south of Capernaum, one of the fishing villages. And they recognize him because he's famous, right? I mean, he's been healing people all over the place. And so they, they, they went and got their sick and they... They asked him to just let us touch the fringe of your garment. We see the same thing in Acts with uh, Peter, and we, of course, we see the the woman who was bleeding touch his garment. It's just I don't know what that I don't know what the lore of that was, but that's anybody who touched it, it was made well. Just Jesus, that's just he's it's just who he was. It's it's not just that he's magical. <laughs> it's that the kingdom has come. I mean, this is when we look forward to the kingdom of heaven. It's it's um, we look forward to. Uh, perfect health. There's not going to be any hospitals, emergency rooms in heaven. You know, like okay. wasn't after every time that they did that, wasn't uh, didn't Jesus reply with uh, it wasn't touching the garment? He always replied with your faith has healed you. Well, not here, but uh, but it, with the woman, he says your faith has made you well. I'm pretty sure that's right. you're right. All right. So traditions and commandments. This is sort of a long passage, so we need to. Hop in there. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Isn't it funny with the things that they're worried about? I mean, like, because they, I mean, they were, they were super into cleanliness. And, uh, and, and that's a, listen, that's a good thing, right? Wash your hands. That's a good thing. But, um, but it doesn't get you to God. God doesn't look at you like, well, I, I would have let you in, but you didn't wash your hands that time. You know, so um, he, Jesus answered, and why do you, he just turns, flips it right back on him. Why do you break the commandments of God? I, I don't know why they don't wash their hands. What, what about you? Uh, you, for the sake of your own tradition, God commanded, uh, honor your father and mother, and yet you, uh, and, and also said, whoever reviles father or mother, mother must surely die. I long for those days sometimes. But um, but you say, but Jesus says, you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained to me is given to God. In other words, the Pharisees apparently said, well, I can't help you, Dad, because i gotta, I got to be in church. He, you're saying that you don't have to honor your father, so for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the Word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. This is Isaiah 29, verse 13. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, treating, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he, he um, criticizes them, but then he tell he says he states why he is critical. So he's not just being defensive. You call me a hypocrite. What about you? You're a hypocrite. He's he's not just he he is demonstrating that they have missed what defiles someone before God. And so, he calls the people to him and explains himself. Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Doesn't mean it won't make you sick, so still wash your hands, right? But what defiles you before God is what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Which is big trouble for most of us, including me. Disciples came to him and said, "Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that you heard this saying?" Well, yeah, I guess they were. And he said, 
Every plant that my heavenly Father hadn't planted is going to be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into a pit. That's where we get the phrase, as you probably know, the blind leading the blind, right? Right there. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see? Whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And that's what defiles a person. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All of these things are self-service. All of these things are putting yourself before God. These are what defile a person. So the, the trick is not don't have murderous thoughts or adulterous thoughts or sexually immoral thoughts. Don't begin to do those things. Don't steal anything. I mean, please don't do any of that stuff. But the problem is not the action. The problem is the heart. That's why we have the... Um, that's why we have the... the um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry. I don't know why I blanked on that. The Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, um, do not murder, but I say to you, anybody who even uh, thinks uh, of, of who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart. And the standard is, the, is what the heart wants. Um, and, and, it's, and of course, it's, it's good to be careful about what you put in your body, but that's not what makes you right before God. Uh, and so what, what they've done is they've made a ritual out of it, a, 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 a religious ritual out of washing hands. In fact, they still do. Actually, we went to the, uh, the Wailing Wall, and you can't go to the Wailing Wall without, they have fountains around, so you wash your hands before, before you go there. We didn't need anything there, but that's, uh, you still, I mean, cleanliness is a big deal still. We make, ritual, we make rituals out of anything. I love, there's a story, uh, the rector who sent me to, Seminary told me a story about, and I don't know if it was him or if it was another uh, another priest, but he was at this church. He had just taken this church, and the, and the altar guild was giving him fits, as altar guilds are kind of supposed to. It was kind of their job to give the priest fits. But um, he he are not ours. Thank you, thank you. But the um, good save. yeah, good save. <laughs> but they they were giving, finally. He said, "What?" He said, "You're." They said, "You're doing it all wrong." And he said, what are you talking about? Well, Father so-and-so before you, he always took the chalice, and you're supposed to touch the radiator over here before you give the uh, wine to the people. Like every, I mean, well, any good priest knows, you've just got to touch the radiator. And he's like, touch the radiator? What are you so he calls up Father so-and-so, uh, the old you know, long-time rector who was, what, could do no wrong. So what is that about? He said, well, you know, the, the wool carpet or whatever it was, just, he would shock people. You know, before, before he, he, so he, he just was taking the electric shock out. That's all it was. And I don't know about the new rector, but it was, it was a religious ritual to them. You, you're doing it all wrong. God's not going to get in that wine. If, if, you know. So it's the same, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Um, there's this great skit that's on, you can find on uh, YouTube. You can uh, just Google uh, Bob Newhart, stop it. Oh, yeah. Have you seen this? Yeah. And so she, this lady comes in. He, he's a he's a like psychologist, and and she says, uh, he says, I, I I'm I'm here for you. This is going to take about five minutes. I, I'm going to change your whole life. What's the problem? She says, I have this terrible fear that I'm going to be buried alive. Yeah, I can't go in. I can't go in a tunnel. I can't go in a building. 
I just, I just am afraid. Anytime I'm in, in a closed uh, situation, I'm afraid I'm going to be um, in a, buried, buried alive, and it just, it's, it's controlling my life. And I just, I need to get over it. He said, "Yeah, great. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you two words that are going to transform everything." And she says, "Do I need to write it down?" He said, "I don't think so. It's just two words. Stop it." <laughs> she said, what? She said, just stop it. Who wants to go around living their life like that? Stop thinking that. And, of course, that's the joke because, because she can't. And so Jesus is not... I mean, when we hear this, these words, we, we, we shouldn't hear stop thinking adulterous thoughts. Because, I mean, we do need to take each thought captive, but only by the Holy Spirit. It is not the absence of those things that makes God love us. It is God's love that makes us, that, that, that pushes those things out. That, that as God's love pours into our hearts, there's no room left for those things. But that's a lifetime of filling up our hearts with God's love and pulling those things out. I mean, long. As I mean, telling somebody who's clinically depressed, just, oh, just cheer up. <laughs> That's like the worst. Please don't ever do that. If, if, if washing hands was the problem, we could fix it. If just stop, oh, I didn't realize I wasn't that supposed to have those thoughts. If that was the problem, we could just fix it. The problem is the heart. And that's why Jesus came. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because Why? Because he is the great I am. And that is, that's, that's the end of the story right there. We can't, he came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Now, having been redeemed, having received the Holy Spirit, can we begin to make progress? And I would say yes. But that is not what, progress is not what keeps us in God's good graces. Only grace. You are not less, you might be a much better person now because Jesus is redeeming you. And he is, and your life has been transformed. You are not less in need of a Savior today than you were when you asked Him into your heart the first time. In fact, you're probably, hopefully, you're more aware of how much you would I'm way more aware now of how I need a Savior than I was when I was in high school and asked Jesus into my heart. So I thought, eh. I mean, I might as well. <laughs> and the Lord transformed me. I, I mean, but I, it wasn't because I, was, I was knew I needed a Savior. I needed a friend. But he became my Savior. The problem is the heart. But take heart. I am. Fear not. Hold on to that. Amen. Amen. All right, so now we've got a couple minutes. You got any, I mean, really not much, but a couple minutes. You got any thoughts or questions? Pushback, feedback? Yes, sir, John. But Christ didn't leave his side. So yes, yes, Peter took his his eyes off of Jesus, but Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. And that's something I think we need to remember is that we falter when we yeah. take our eyes away. Yeah, we falter. We do. But the problem is, you know, like how did this happen? Where was God in all this? No, I mean maybe your eyes were just off of Jesus at, at that moment. Or maybe he just needed to do his good work. The, the, the disciples aren't rowing going, 
there's no God. If there was a God, there would be no wind. You know, like that's, that's, uh, they're not doing that. But Jesus comes to them anyway. They would have been, you know, they would have just told stories the next morning. Wow, we're so tired. They wouldn't have thought anything of it. But God, Jesus comes to them right in that moment. Just like he did. Yes, Alicia. Sometimes I was looking at, at this where he's identified himself, said, Take heart, it is I, and they all, everybody, and Peter says, If it is you, mm-hmm. he still has that prove it. Yeah. And I, I'm guilty of that. Mm. Um, I'm confessing this now more than one occasion. Yeah. I believe it, but I want a tangible proof. Yeah, Alicia says she's she's uh, for for the recording and for Katie if you couldn't hear that, that she's that we do that we we want proof. We, um, Peter says, "If it is I, uh, if if it is you, then call me." Uh, even though he's already said it is I, um, and we like want I proof. Yeah. Believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That's right. That's right, Connie. So, yeah. Do you, you think that Jesus? allowed Peter to suffer a little bit to make him realize what, what he was getting him to realize that he was the son of God. Did Peter did Jesus allow Peter to suffer a little bit no, to like help him realize? Like by sink giving yeah. You know, I it's I can go either way on, on that, Paul. I, I think that um that does does Jesus think, oh here if I allow him to sink, that will help him to believe, or does he just sink and then Jesus sort of redeems that lack of belief. Either way it comes out, it, it increases his faith. I, I don't know if, if um, I would say there are probably times in our life where Jesus orchestrates it, and there's probably times in our life where Jesus just redeems it. Well, thinking about whenever we're afraid, whatever it is, yes. whatever we're doing, and then if we don't focus and don't keep us our eyes, you know, like you say, on him, that you kind of falter. Yes. You kind of uh, lose faith. Well, and we fix our eyes on Jesus and look full in His wonderful face and the things of the earth go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. All right, well, we are at time. If you had not been to church, go to church. Happy Father's Day. Make sure you don't leave here without your raffle ticket. And to you too, I know this is a, a tender one. Yeah. Love you. Love you too.